Well, good morning and welcome into Crossroads, as Ben said earlier. If uh, you're visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. If you're, you're joining us online, we're glad that you've uh, joined us here today to, to worship online. And if you, uh, especially were here last week for Easter, we're glad that you're back. If you uh, decided to check us out, if you came uh, with friends or family, we're, we're certainly glad that you are here uh, today at Crossroads Christian Church with us. Uh, every once in a while as a preacher, you, you hear a sermon that sticks with you. And I've got to be honest with you, I hear sermons on occasion. I can think back over the last really 15 to 20 years about some sermons that I've heard that just, just stuck. And sometimes you hear one of those and you think, man, I really need to share that with uh, some people that, that I know, some people that, that I have, have uh, pastored to. And, and so we kind of had this little gap between wrapping up our series through the Bible uh, called Check It Out that we, we've been doing since the first of the year. We've got a new series starting next week I'll tell you about in a little bit. We wanted to kind of take a pause and do something a little bit different in between uh, those two series. The, the idea for this, ser- this sermon came from a book several years ago called Experiencing Spiritual Breakthrough. It was written by uh, a man named Dr. Bruce Wilkinson. And this is a sermon, again, like I said, I've, I've heard this, I've preached this in the past, but it's one that deals with the generational change in how we approach Christianity, how we approach the church. And it's one of those that seems to get a little bit more relevant every single year. In every single generation, it seems to get a little bit more relevant. The idea behind this, this sermon is simple. There are three chairs. As you can see, Ben kind of alluded to this earlier. He, uh, at the 8 o'clock service, actually sat in one and played for a little while. Um, and then he said he wasn't going to sit in it, but he did anyway. So he really wanted to sit in those chairs, just so you guys know. But the idea behind the three chairs is that each one of these represents us in some way, shape, or form. All of us sit in one of these three chairs. The first chair represents the Christian who is completely under the authority and the direction of Jesus. In other words, the person who sits in this first chair, every decision that they make, everything that they do, has the kingdom of God in mind, has their spiritual walk in mind. They pray through decisions. I mean, I don't mean like, should we have Taco Bell or McDonald's tonight? I mean, they pray about big decisions in life. The first chair Christian puts God first in everything that they do. Church is a priority. The Bible is a priority. Living in the kingdom is a priority. What about the second chair? The second chair, which is a lot like these out here today, the second chair is a Christian who is unsure of just exactly how much to surrender and to follow Jesus. This is a chair that represents the majority of the church today, in fact, the vast majority. In fact, it's estimated that about 80 to 85% of regular church attenders sit in the second chair. And just to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up today, this sermon is not meant to be in attack mode, but it is meant to kind of open some eyes. Because this is where the majority of people sit, and you might find uh, the, 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 the imagery here is the same chair you guys are sitting in today. What about the third chair? The third chair is a comfortable chair, and this chair represents a person who has not made the decision to follow Jesus. They're the person who either attends church or... Maybe not. Maybe they just haven't made that decision yet to follow Jesus, but they're the person who who hasn't made Jesus the Lord of their lives, hasn't given their lives and surrendered their lives to God. 
And here's what this chair really represents. This chair represents the majority of our country today. Right now in our country, about two-thirds, maybe a little less than that, of Americans identify as being Christian. They will call themselves a Christian. That number started, is, is, is strikingly low compared to what it was even 50 years ago. But two-thirds identify as Christian, but less than half, about 40% of Americans actually attend church with any regularity whatsoever, meaning once a month or more. So over almost 60%, okay, of, of Americans. Really, for the first time in the last 15 years, we've seen the first time in our nation's history, the majority of people that are American do not attend church on any regular basis whatsoever. And what we're going to do is kind of look at these three chairs today, and we're going to break down a few aspects of life, both spiritual life and personal life, and what these chairs represent with that and how these chairs respond and react to those various things. These chairs ultimately represent generations. They represent how from one generation to the next, things can drastically change depending on where you're sitting and what you're doing. And to illustrate this, we're going to look at three direct generations from the Bible. Uh, we're going to look into the Old Testament, and we're going to start with David, because David is an example of a first-chair Christian. David is somebody that we would say uh, his relationship with God is summed up like this. He had a devoted heart, and he put God first. In fact, it's said about David in 1 Samuel 13 that he had a heart after God. That's how God described him. He's a man after my own heart. Now, does that mean the first chair Christian is perfect and doesn't make mistakes? Absolutely not. You can look at David and you can see plenty of mistakes that David made. Some of the mistakes he made were actually in the process of covering up other mistakes. His sins just kind of escalated and built one upon the next. But David ultimately in his heart wanted to please God. He tried to strive to do what was best for the people of Israel and for the kingdom of God. And that was the heart that sought after God. He was devoted to God. He wanted to, to please God and to grow his kingdom. The first chair Christian is always going to ask the question, how do I put God first? How is what I'm about to do going to impact the church? What about the second chair? Well, for that, we look at David's son, Solomon. Solomon followed God, and then he didn't follow God and kind of went back and forth, and that's what so many of us do today. The second chair Christian, we honestly will, will look at somebody like this, and we, again, we look at Solomon. Where in 1 Kings 11, it says that in his old age, his wives turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. In other words, as he progressed in years, his views shifted. And they shifted away from God to what the world was offering him. So about Solomon, we might say that he had a divided heart. And, and that Solomon put his self first and he put God second. Now if we're honest, again, that's where so many of us sit today. And you may say, well, Kurt, I come to church on a pretty regular basis. Maybe you do. Maybe you do. But the second chair Christian starts to compartmentalize. And church isn't necessarily the thing, it's just a thing. Now, again, I'm not trying to make church as the most important thing ever, but church is how we come together to worship God and to grow together and launch out into other, other aspects of, of ministry, into other aspects of mission, and into other aspects of growth with God. So that's kind of be summed up a little bit under that, that umbrella today. But the second-chair Christian will come to church so long as there's not something else going on. 
Like, we'll be there unless my kid's got a baseball tournament. I'll get up and study my Bible so long as I don't have an early morning meeting somewhere. Or I'll attend small groups so long as there's nothing else on my calendar that week. A second chair Christian doesn't prioritize God above anything else. God is just part of your life. What about the third chair Christian? Well, we're going to look at the third chair person and we'll look at Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the grandson of David, as, as time went by, God became less and less of a factor in the lives of the generations after David. Rehoboam, it says this about him in 1 Kings chapter 12, that he rejected the advice of the older men, and instead he asked the opinion of the young men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. So what would we say about Rehoboam in this third chair? You could say that Rehoboam had a dead heart, that God played no role in his life. He was focused on himself first. The third chair person says, I'm going to live my, uh, my life my way, and, and nobody's going to tell me otherwise. Now, hear me out on this, because there can be some good people in the third chair. You can live outside of yourself. You can live to help other people. You can live to, to grow your family, and you make your kids an important part. Those things aren't inherently bad things. Please hear me on that. But ultimately, there are things that you decide you want to do. This is a very me-focused chair. This is a very me-focused position to live life in. And we look at these and how they affect our relationships with God. You can see whether it's a devoted, divided, or dead heart from these chairs. How do these chairs interact with the Word of God, with the Bible? Well, if you are a first-chair person, you obey the Bible. You read the Bible. You study the Bible. You know the Bible. doesn't mean you've got it mastered, but you... You, you just consume the Word of God with regularity. You're in it daily, or you're in a, a Bible study that meets on a very regular basis. You're diving deep because you want the Bible to mold and guide and lead your life. You want the Bible to be your final authority on every matter of your life. And so the first chair person comes to the Bible and comes to the Bible empty-handed and empty-hearted saying, mold me and make me, lead me. You don't go to the Bible with a preconceived notion hoping to prove yourself right. You go there hoping to be led. The second chair person, this is a person who respects the Bible. You might even call it the Word of God. You might call it uh, an inspired word. You might believe every single word of it. But the problem in the second chair is, again, you start to compartmentalize and prioritize. And you're one of those that maybe you'll highlight certain parts of the Bible and ignore others. You don't like those. Because they're, they're hard to follow. They're not so much a popular uh, spot in the Bible. So you just kind of decide where to apply and where to ignore. What about the third chair? Third chair, you might own a Bible. Because a lot of people own a Bible. Once upon a time, everybody probably owned one. I had a roommate back in college that uh, had been raised in the Catholic Church, and by the time he got to college, he decided he didn't need God anymore. He was, was done with that and was on the verge of calling himself an atheist and, and all this. And his grandma sent him a Bible for Christmas that year. He opened it, and it was a nice Bible, nice, expensive. It was genuine leather, study Bible. And he thought, well, I don't want this, so I might just re-gift it to somebody. And he opened it, and she printed his name on it. <laughs> I don't know if that Bible ever got read. I, I pray that it did. I have a feeling it didn't, at least not by him. But the third chair might own a Bible, or the third chair might know just enough Bible to use it as a weapon against Christians who aren't really doing a good job of following the Bible. 
We've got some friends like that that can do the same thing. So, so how do you view the Bible? What, what about values? Where do our values come from? Well, if you're in the first chair, your values, they come from the Bible. Your values are, are consistent in your life. Again, does it mean you're perfect? Absolutely not. Does it mean you've got it all figured out? Absolutely not. But in the first chair, your values come from the Bible. First chair Christians are consistent. Again, not perfect, but consistent. Everything that you believe and do comes from Scripture. What about the second chair? Again, compartmentalization. The values you get come from the Bible, but also from society, from culture. You apply the Bible in many areas, but you also tend to look at what society is saying is good and acceptable, and you try to make a merger between those two. You try to put them together, whether they fit or they don't. And here's the problem with this. Again, the church, the Bible, these, these are important parts of your life, but maybe not the most important. Because ultimately, you want to feel good. You want to be comfortable in what you do. And too often, the second chair Christian is really good at putting Jesus in the top drawer. You know, like we put important things in our top drawer sometimes. Like maybe we put extra cash up there, or maybe you put a, like a passport or something like that that's an important document that, that it's easy to get to, but it's kind of hidden a little bit too, even though we all put stuff in our top drawers. You know, like we think we hide stuff in them. I don't do that, so don't, if you break into my house, there's nothing in my top drawer, okay? <laughs> nothing at all. Just, just uh, unmentionables, okay? We put Jesus in the top drawer. The problem is we don't put him in all the other drawers, too. And, and, and that's nice that we put him in the top, but he needs to be in all the drawers. And the second chair Christian, that's what we do. What about the third chair? Third chair, your values come from society. They, they come from culture. The third chair person will tell you, essentially, that, that whatever is the most current, trendy, comfortable, acceptable thing out there, that's where my values are going to come from. Now, let me ask you a question here. Okay, we're going to kind of push pause for just a second. I'm going to ask you a question here. What is the truth source for your life? Okay, now, depending where you sit is how you're going to answer that question. Depending how you view the Bible... It's how you're going to answer that question. But how you answer that question is going to be your determination for right here. Your values come from what you value as being true. So in other words, what's the most important thing in your life and how you view it determines where that truth source comes from. So where is it for you? Is it the Bible? Is it the media? Whether that's mainstream media or social media? Is it the loudest celebrity voice out there? If you're younger, is it your college, your, your school, your high school? Where, where is it? Maybe for some of you, is, it, is that truth source the industry you work in? Is your truth source your political alignment? Where's your truth source today? Because your truth source will determine your values. And here's the problem as, as we stand here today, folks. In 2022, too many churches today are losing sight of their truth source, and too many churches today are becoming influenced by culture and society around them rather than the other way around. We've gotten to a point where the church in America today is downstream from culture when it needs to be upstream from culture. And you know how that works. What's downstream gets impacted by what's upstream. My hometown has a polluted creek that runs through it because of a leak in a mine north of us, upstream. That creek is just fine until it hits that bubble up, and then it contaminates and it's ruined the rest of the way through my hometown. And it poisons everything that it runs across. 
church, how are we going to be? Are we going to be upstream or are we going to be downstream from the culture that comes our direction? Our truth source will, will determine this. And here's the problem that we run into. The more we replace the Bible as our truth source in our society and therefore in our church today, the more divided we're going to become. And you know how it works. Every two years, we have an election cycle that comes up that divides us more and more, even within the church. The more divided we're going to become in the church, in our country, in our society as a whole, the more we're going to struggle and the more we're going to fight about what our values are. So let me ask you a question today. If you're taking notes, I want you to to write this down. I don't want to know your answer, but I want you to be deadly honest with yourself. Which chair are you sitting in? Let's make it a little more personal. Let's make it a little bit more personal. Let's let's look at things like our, our job or our career. If you are a first chair Christian, you view your career as your calling, as God's calling on your life. And you may say, well, Kurt, you're called, you're a pastor. You're right, I am. And there are seven of us on staff here as pastors. We're called into the roles we're in. And I'm very grateful for the calling I have. I'm grateful for the opportunity to get up here and to speak to you all and to lead the church that God has has picked me of all people to do that. I'm so grateful for that. But hear me out. I'm not the only person here who's called. And I'm not talking about the other pastors that are in the room right now. If you're a first-year Christian, you recognize this. Your role in life, whether you're a teacher, whether you are a banker, whether you're a nurse, maybe you are an auto mechanic or you, you, you work on people's heaters and air conditioners, that's a calling on your life. And in that calling that you have, you're going to have the chance to reach people that I never will. You're going to have a chance to teach people the gospel that I'm never even going to meet. So don't think of it as anything less than God's calling on your life. That's your window, your door to minister in the name of Jesus in your world. What about the second chair? Second chair, you view your career as God's blessing on your life. Now, that's not a bad thing to think. God's blessed you with opportunity. God's blessed you with certain talents and certain gifts. But it's more than just a blessing because too often the second chair person says, well, God's blessed me to make X number of dollars. God's blessed me to provide all of this for my family, this nice home for my family. And and again, that's not bad to give God the credit for that, but it needs to be more than just that. It's more than just how you can impact yourself and your family and those immediately around you. That's the difference in the first and the second chair. What about the third chair? The third chair doesn't really include God at all. This is my ability. I got here. I worked hard for this. I earned this. And again, those aren't bad attitudes to have. I hope you work hard. I hope you earn it. I hope you take some pride in what you do for your job. But this is a very me and I focused approach. You might say, well, you know, I've got God-given talents, God-given gifts, but ultimately that's where God's credit stops. You say, you know, I did all this. God really didn't have that much to do for me. What about our marriages? What about our marriages? If you're in the first chair, your marriage is a covenant. You have a covenant relationship. And a covenant relationship is an unbreakable relationship. It's an unbreakable document. A covenant comes without condition. A covenant says that we're going to make this work for better or for worse. And you understand this in a covenant relationship. There aren't loopholes in your vows. When you made your vows to God, those don't come with an out clause on them. 
You're in this. And the word divorce doesn't even enter your vocabulary. What about the second chair? second chair is more of a contract. You view your marriage as a contract, and contracts can have loopholes. They can have conditions. They're binding until they're not binding anymore. In other words, a, a, a contract marriage, a, a second chair marriage says, I will love you, and I will support you, and I will give everything I can for you until I don't want to anymore. Because you're not doing that for me anymore. I'm not happy anymore. I'm not satisfied anymore. And a contract marriage can be easy to get out of because it's, it's kind of me focused and me first. What about the third chair? Well, third chair marriage is just a convenience. It's an option. Because in our world today, in our society today, marriage isn't even required anymore. Almost anything, you go back 15 to 20 years ago, anything that you had to be married for that was an advantage over being unmarried doesn't exist anymore. So a third chair is just an option. And when we define marriage however we want to in that third chair. Now I want you to kind of hear me on this too because looking at these two chairs between being a covenant and a contract, I've had people say to me, well, I've been divorced before and now I'm remarried again. And my response is normally, great, make it your last marriage. Unless one of you passes away, make it your last marriage. Because I understand, sometimes you're not a Christian yet or sometimes things have happened or whatever. If you can reconcile the marriage, do it. If you're already remarried, make it your last one. My parents have divorced. They've both remarried. They're married to wonderful people now. They're in it for the long haul. And I pray for their marriages on a regular basis. I pray for my stepdad and my stepmom because I want those marriages to be covenants and to endure. Let's get real personal with this. What about parenting? What about how we parent? I know there's a lot of people in this room like me who have smaller children. My, my kids are fourth grade and down. If you're a first chair parent, you are confident. Now, does that mean you've got it all figured out? Absolutely not. And if you do, I would love to read your book that you write because I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But we're confident. Why? Because we're applying godly and biblical principles in everything that we do with our kids. Does that mean that when I tuck my kids in at night, I make sure they've got a memory verse uh, ready for me and they, they, they can quote the books of the Bible? And I, No, I don't do that. What it means is that as they grow up, what they come to know is right and wrong, what they come to know with how to treat people, what they come to know with their principles and values will be based out of Scripture. Nothing more, nothing less. I want them to be raised in a way that always asks the question, how am I putting God first in all that I do? How am I putting the church first? How am I making it a priority in all that we do? said earlier, some people in this chair will say, well, we'll be there so long as my kids don't have a ball game. My, my oldest is in a soccer game that should have ended about 10 minutes ago. If she's not here for the 1045 service, she's in trouble. Now, she quickly pawned that off and said, well, mom has to bring me. But that was the rule. You're not going to skip church for a game. So you can, you can be here. That's one of our advantages to multiple services here. But when we first saw the schedule, we said, no, you're not going to go to that one. They made it work where she could, could go and she can be here, but this is the priority. This was what was going to come first, and I made sure that she knew that. Does that make me a good, popular dad? Probably not. Do I care? Absolutely not. And I'm, that's not something that, that I'm going to apologize over. That is what we are going to prioritize. We put God first in all that we do. Again, do we have parenting figured out? 100% no. But here's the catch, and I've said this for a long time. 
I heard this many, many years ago, and I'll, I'll tell this to every young parent out there or everybody who's about to become a parent. My job as a parent is not to raise good kids. My job is to raise good people who grow up to worship God. That is my job. What about the second chair? Second chair Christian, you, as you parent, you're hopeful. You're hopeful. You hope your kids grow up and, and worship God. You hope your kids grow up and read the Bible. You hope your kids grow up and go to church. But you're hopeful. Why are you hopeful rather than confident? Well, you, you, you parent in a way that's influenced by the Bible. And here's probably the one big mistake that people in the second chair make is that you lean on the church a little too much to help you raise your kids to be influenced by godly principles. Now, if you're a new Christian, this part doesn't apply to you, but I want you to, to listen to it because it could apply down the road. Okay? You, you, as, as a church, we want to pour into your children. Uh, you'll, you'll probably hear me talk about these more in the future. I've got a set of core values that I have as a pastor, as, as a minister, as, as a, even as a Christian in general. And one of those core values is that I want to radically invest in the next generation. And I, I, I phrase those in a way that's an action statement. I put an adverb on them because I don't want to just say what I want to do. I want to say how I want to do it. I want to radically invest in the next generation. And part of my vision at this church is that we grow to a point in our kids and our youth that, that we have to hire more help for Matt and Phil because there's just so many kids down there every week. But you have to understand something here. No matter how much of a staff that we have down there, no matter how amazing they do, and they do a great job with what they do right now, no matter how rich the teaching is, we get your kids for one hour a week. And that's assuming you're here every single week. But if you're in the second chair and you come one or two times a month, that means we get your kids one to two hours a month. And folks, I gotta be honest, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter what the caliber of teaching that they get is, we can't combat what the world is throwing at them. We just can't. There's so much coming right now, whether it's from school, from friends, from, from, from things like TikTok or Instagram or the social media influencers that are out there. We just can't, we can't do it all in one or two hours a month. The second chair parent has to lean into those first chair tendencies and make the Bible a priority at home. What about the third chair? If you're a third chair parent, I'm, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to sound mean with it, but you're confused because you're simply parenting based on the world's influence. And here's the problem with this. The world changes rapidly. And if you follow your own values and beliefs based on what the wind is currently blowing, as soon as it changes, you have to change with it. And rather than parenting based on a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forever, you parent on something that might change on a regular basis. And it's going to lead your kids to not necessarily know exactly what the right and wrong things to do are, exactly what's acceptable and not acceptable, and so forth. Let me ask you a, a question with this. You look at these three chairs. When you look at what they represent in terms of how we parent, where do you think the kids from these chairs end up? If you parent in each one of these chairs, where do your kids wind up? If you're in the first chair and you parent from the first chair, then the statistics are pretty overwhelming. Most kids who grew up watching their, their parents from the first chair stay in the first chair. 
And I don't mean to make this about me or to brag about this, but I can give you just kind of my personal view on this. My grandparents were first-chair Christians. My grandma was 92 years old, <clears throat> and it's still, I mean, she's still kicking. She can't make it to church most every Sunday anymore, but when she can, she goes, and if not, she's watching on her iPad. She's there. She's outlasted about 10 different pastors at their church. And I, I told this to the 8 o'clock crowd. She's one of these. Bless her heart. <laughs> she complains about everything that church does these days. Music's too loud. That, that, he doesn't have his shirt tucked in. She won't watch me. <laughs> I normally have my least wrinkled pair of jeans on when I get up here and whatever shirt I find at the front of my dresser. But she'll complain about the stuff that church does. But that church means everything to her. She's given so much to that church over her years. At 92 years old, my grandpa's been gone for 15 years, and he gave everything he had. And my grandpa didn't even become a Christian until he was my age. But when he did, he jumped from the third chair, and he nearly overshot the first chair. He was all in, straight into the deep end of the pool. And every time they could, they were there. Everything they could be involved in, they were in. Every person they could talk to, they talked to. And what did that, that lead to? It led to my mom and her two sisters growing up in the first chair and living lives in the first chair and being actively involved, personally, deeply invested in the church. And what did that lead to? It led to me and, and, and the six members of our generation. Almost all of us are in the first chair today. And our kids are growing up in the first chair. My, my, my oldest cousin, he's got two daughters. One is getting ready to start med school. The other one's in college, and then all the way on down to, to Titus is the youngest in this generation. And so many of them are already getting involved in ministry because they've grown up watching first-chair parents who put God first in everything that they did. Does it mean we're perfect? Absolutely not. But that's what we value. And my wife is the exact same way. Her grandparents were pillars in First Christian Church of Miami, Oklahoma. Her mom and her twin sister have been members and, and, and been a part of that church on a regular basis for 60 plus years. Her uncle retired from ministry a few years ago. She's got an aunt that lives in Mississippi. Her husband has been in ministry. His brother was in ministry and preached and taught at Ozark for decades. It's a family that makes God a priority. And what's that led to? Jennifer's first cousin was an elder already in his mid-30s. Because he grew up in the church, and his kids are growing up there. First chair families stay in the first chair. What about the third chair? If you raise your kids from the third chair, guess where your kids stay? They're going to stay in the third chair. Church has never been a priority for them. The Bible's never been a priority for them. You might go on Easter. You might go on Christmas. You might come when a special occasion happens, but that's about it. And when it's not made a priority, kids grow up seeing this as not even a part of their lives. And so what's the use? So they're going to stay in the third chair. But what about this chair? This is the chair that breaks my heart. Because kids that grow up watching their parents from the second chair, more times than not, wind up in the third chair. It's a pretty overwhelming number. Why? Because the parents didn't fully instill everything in them that they needed to. And parents, you might have been well-intentioned, 
And I'm not trying to go into attack mode with this today. Please hear me. If you're feeling like you're getting stepped on a little bit today, I'm sorry. But that's also my job. <laughs> Kids are raised here. And those, those values and those principles that they get, they get Bible, yes, but they also get the world. And they're not given a solid foundation. And more times than not, they step out into the world. They step out into reality. And something happens that knocks them off their feet. And they don't know how to respond. And too often we see, we see kids, especially the, the, the young millennials, the older generation Z coming up. We see them step into the real world. They start to question things. And they start to deconstruct their faith. And they don't know how to put it back together. And they walk away from it altogether. Maybe it's because something happened to them they weren't prepared for. Or maybe it's because they got to college and somebody threw a question at them and they didn't, they didn't know how to respond to it. And that can happen to so many of us. Things happen, questions are asked, and we don't have an answer, and sometimes we walk away. If, if, if that's you, if you've ever questioned something and you don't have an answer to it, or you know somebody, a, a, a child, or somebody close to you that's asking questions right now, let me encourage you with something. We're starting a brand new preaching series last week. I think the slide was just up there a moment ago. But we're starting a new teaching series next week called So Many Questions. And over the next couple of months, Brad and I are going to start unpacking some of the biggest questions that are out there that are stumbling blocks to faith. We're going to ask questions like, how can I know that God is real? Or a question like, how could a loving God send people to hell? Or how can a loving God allow pain and suffering in the world? Or, or does, does science contradict the Bible? We're going to tackle these questions. Nine questions in all. And I can tell you this, we're going to do this with as much honesty and humility as we can do it. Because we care about where you stand. I want your stance on Christ to be strong and to grow told you what one of my core values was earlier. My first core value as a pastor is that I want to relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God. This is one way that we do this. By strengthening our foundation and by growing together. So I want to encourage you, the next, next several weeks we're going to be starting this series. Don't miss it. Be here for this, this series next week as we dive into this. Because I, I, I know there's so much skepticism out there today. And sometimes the chair you sit in will determine, not necessarily how skeptical you are, but how you respond to that skepticism. Here, here's the problem that we run into. The problem that we see between all of these chairs today is that we've got them sitting here on the stage, and they're about the same distance apart, and that's mostly just so I don't have to walk very far. <laughs> but if we were being honest, this chair here, this would be way, way down there in the dark. It wouldn't be dark, obviously, but it'd be way down there because there's a lot of space between this first and second chair. Some of you know because some of you sit in this first chair. And if you're a first chair Christian, and you can honestly say that, and you don't have to brag about it, you can just be honest and say, yeah, I'm a first chair. You know who you are. Thank you. Not for my own benefit, but because you are part of the reason this church grows, this church does what it does. You're making an impact in the world around you. But there's a huge gap between stepping from this chair to this chair. But these two, there's not much difference between these two chairs. Really, the only difference is this chair comes to church once a month. This chair reads the Bible on occasion. This chair might tithe every once in a while. This chair might do a small group one time. 
But there's not a drastic difference. Why? Because lives haven't changed from this chair necessarily. And here's the thing, folks. As more and more Americans move to the third chair, away from the first two, what they're noticing is that these two don't look that much differently. These two don't look that much, uh, there's not a lot of of separation between these two. And folks, I'm just going to say this because I believe this. A country that's rejecting the church has no interest in a church that looks just like it. It needs a church that looks different. It needs a church that's set apart, that's holy, that's other. Because we serve a God that is holy, that is set apart, and that is other, who has called us to be holy and set apart and other. So let me ask you the question again. Which chair are you in? And where do you want to sit? Which of these chairs do you want to sit in? If I ask you, be honest, on your notes, write down what chair am I sitting in? Let me give you a little guideline on how to answer that question. If your answer is, well, I'm somewhere between the first and the second chair, you're in the second chair. Until you are completely, fully in this chair, you're not in the first chair. It's like one of my big pet peeves. You know, I used to do sports broadcasting, and so I critique. It drives my wife crazy, but I critique when I'm watching a game. One of my absolute biggest pet peeves is watching a football game, and they'll say, well, he's on the three-and-a-half-yard line. There's no such thing as a three-and-a-half-yard line. You're on the three or you're on the four. You're, there's no such thing. And until the ball touches the four, you're on the three. It could be this far away, but you're on the three-yard line. So I had to get that off my chest. Now you know that. There is no one and a half chair until you are fully in the first chair. You are in the second chair. And here's the thing about this second chair. You might notice it's the same chairs you're sitting in today. These are comfortable chairs. Why are they comfortable chairs? Well, you just so happen to have two preachers who can talk for a while. And I've sat in an old wooden pew. Those aren't very comfortable. Those are 20-minute sermon pews. You don't have that with Brad and I. I apologize. You get what you get. (laughs) But here's the problem with a comfortable chair. Whether it's this one or it's this one over here. The longer you sit in it, the harder it is to get out of. I mean that literally. Sometimes you sit in a good comfy chair. The longer you're there, the harder it is to get out of. First, uh, upstairs it was a recliner. I did not lean it back because I knew that was not coming back up if I did. But the longer you sit here, the harder it is. If you have ever had this happen to you, where you've attended church and it's been a part of your life and you stop going for a short season, you know how hard it is to start going again. I've been there. I was in college. I just couldn't find a church I really liked and plugged into, and I just didn't go. I attended a Bible study on a regular basis. I tried to keep up with my spiritual life, but suddenly sleeping in on Sunday morning became a habit. It was nice. Once you break a habit, it's hard to restart it. And the longer you sit in a comfortable chair, the harder it is to get out of. These church chairs are comfortable. And it can be very easy to come to church when it's convenient, to come to church when you want to, rather than making it a priority. And folks, I think that's exactly what the devil wants out of us. Heard this quote a couple years ago. It's from a guy named Shane Wood, who's a, a professor down at Ozark. Uh, he, he preaches, he writes, but this, this just hit me square in the face. He said, if I were the devil, I would not attack the church and persecute the church physically. I would smother it in so much luxury and comfort that it would forget there's a war to be fought. 
And folks, if there's a better description of the American church right now, I'm not sure I've heard it. Satan's not going to attack us head on. He's too smart for that. We'll see it coming. We'll dig on our heels. In fact, he's not attacking us at all. He's bathing us. Because a comfortable, warm, cushy Christianity is exactly what he wants. Because a comfortable, warm, cushy Christianity does nothing to further the kingdom of God. But that's exactly where we have kind of found ourselves today. And I'm not pointing a finger at any one of you or at Crossroads Christian Church or anything. I'm talking about us as an American church. This is where we are at today. We are firmly planted in the second chair. And we have no interest in getting out of it. Unless it's maybe to go to this even more comfortable one over here. So again, what chair are you setting in today? Let me ask you a question. If you are finding yourself in a particular chair, what do you need to do to move out of that chair? Specifically, what do you need to do to get in this first chair? Well, if you can say, well, I am a first chair Christian. I sit in this first chair already. What do I need to do? You need to recommit. I'm not saying you need to get rebaptized or get resaved. We don't, we don't do that around here. I'm saying you recommit. Uh, a couple months ago, we had sign-ups for small groups and for ministry teams. and We have a window to sign up on those, but, but that's not the only window. You can sign up and start those at any point in time. In fact, we had a lot of small groups that just ended around Easter. We got some more that are starting right back up. There's some information in your bulletins about them. You can get on our website and find out more information. Get plugged back into one. Maybe you took a little bit of a break. Get plugged back in. Get plugged back into serving the church. Get plugged back into community within the church. Why? Because if you sit in the first chair, persecution will find you. And here's the thing, folks. This may only be 15% of the church. But here's the good news behind that. Societal growth experts have come to this determination that if just 10% of a population can get radically invested in a cause, that cause can eventually overtake a population. So here's the thing. If you want to see this church grow, if you want to see this church start making an impact, if you want to see revival spread across all of Kansas City, get in this chair, strap on, dig in, and be steadfast. Because that's what it's going to take. We put God first in all that we do, and we let everything else fall into place. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, that if we seek first his kingdom, and seek first righteousness, and live righteously, he says everything else will be given to us as we need it. Now he's talking about money specifically in that particular passage there, but that applies to so much of our lives. So first chair, recommit. Don't, don't, don't let that fire die down. Keep it burning. What about the third chair? If you're in the third chair, what do you need to do today? You need to receive. Again, the third chair is the, the person who has not yet received Jesus as Lord, not accepted Jesus as Lord. So receive that today. Because that's what it is. It's a free gift for you. It's the gift of grace that we accept through faith in God. Here's the problem with the third chair. The longer you sit on this, the more you're going to realize this. The third chair person who doesn't use the Bible for values and doesn't use the Bible for guidance in life will look for those anywhere else they can. They're going to search for meaning and search for fulfillment all across the world looking for it. They're not going to find it, but they're going to keep searching. Eventually, they're going to realize there's more out there. I'm always reminded of that quote from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity when he said, if I find in myself a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only probable explanation is that I'm made for another world. 
And too often in the third chair, we just keep searching and seeking and we don't find it. But God's offered it for us. He's, he's given it to us. It's his love that was given to us through Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus said that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. So if you're in the third chair, receive him. Receive Jesus. What about the second chair? If you're in the second chair, folks, we need to repent. You need to repent. And here's what I mean by that. When you're in the second chair, the second chair person needs to reach out and accept what God has for them because the second chair person is trying to please God and please the world. And when you're trying to please both, you're not going to please either. The second chair person is ultimately trying to, to fulfill everything and everyone. And at their core, the second chair person is living them for, for themselves. Maybe you've been a part of a church. Maybe you have been active in a church, but you're, you're not quite anymore. But the second chair person is ultimately what we would call lukewarm. And Jesus had a very clear message to lukewarm people. To one of the seven churches in Revelation, he said this in Revelation 3, that I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. He says, I wish you were either one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I kind of have a feeling that if he wrote a letter to the American church today, it would sound very similar. That we need to get on board or get off the board, but quit towing both lines. Second chair Christians shouldn't be such a thing. We need to be in the first chair. Heard a quote one time that said, there's no such thing as an inactive church member. You're on board or you're not. That's why Jesus told us very clearly in Luke chapter 9 that we've, if we want to follow him and be his disciples, we have to deny ourselves and take up our crosses daily and follow him. You want to be in that, that second or first chair? That's what it's going to take. There was a, a slide that popped up there a moment ago. I, I passed it in my notes. We've got a class coming up in about a month. It's going to tell you what that's all about. It's called Closer Look. If you're in the third chair or if you're in the second chair and you want to know more about Jesus, more about what salvation means, more about this particular church and, and how we do things, I want to encourage you to come to Closer Look. There's more info about it in your bulletin and online. It's May 14th. This is our membership class. Brad and Tracy will teach this class. I want to encourage you to come check this out because this is how you're going to find out much more about us. Because here's the thing, folks. If we want the, the church to grow and spread, and I, took, I came here believing that was not only possible but, but, but going to happen, we need to be a church full of people in this first chair. That's what we need to be. But I'd say the church can only be effective moving forward if we become selflessly sold out to Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be. What does that mean? It means if you preach or you teach, you do it with boldness and with courage. If, if you just, you don't preach or teach, but you interact with people, you do it with grace. You do it with, with, with humility, not with arrogance, not, not throwing fists in the name of Jesus. You do it humbly. We try and get into our world like Jesus came to our world. We put on that same humility he did. The Apostle Paul described it like this in Philippians 2. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And he goes on to say that that same attitude was humility, and that took Jesus all the way to the cross. 
Second chair Christians are often consumers of the church, asking what can this church do for me? First chair Christians are partners with the church. You're doing the job that we are all called to do. So let me ask you one more time, what chair are you in today? Here's your takeaway. It's pretty straightforward. Move to the first chair. And it comes with a follow-up question. What change do you need to make in order to make that move happen? That's my challenge, my encouragement for you today, is that we become a first-chair church trying to reach our world for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Jesus and grateful for the challenges that he gives us, the challenge to take up our crosses and to follow him. God, I pray all across the room today that we would understand what we need to do to move up into those chairs, what we need to do to become more radically on fire for you so that as a church we can make an impact in your kingdom for your name. God, we're so grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for what he does for us. God, if there's anybody in the third chair today that is starting to ask questions, God, I pray that you would open their heart and their their minds to be asked or to to ask those to, to receive what you have for them so they could move up. And God, anybody that's in the second chair that just makes church an option, God, you would put into their hearts a desire to make it a priority, showing them that what you did for them requires from them. God, we're so grateful for your son. We pray in his name. Amen. As we step into our time of communion, I want to draw your mind back to that verse in Philippians 2, that Christ humbled himself so much that he took off everything he had in heaven and became one of us. And he took that all the way to the cross for you so that you could receive him, so that you could repent and walk away from everything else in this world so that you could follow him in all that you do. We're gonna take this time of communion. I encourage you to remember that sacrifice. I encourage you to, to take a moment and reflect on that as we move forward. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus and for his sacrifice. Pray that you would bless this next few moments as we bless you. We pray this in your name. Amen.